0: Welcome to the December 1st episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Olis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. And before we proceed, I do want to apologize. It's been, I think, maybe a week and a half since I've done a podcast, but we had time with family in South Carolina and then I got back and it got busy. So we're just going to jump back in and, and finish this year. Um, but today's reading is Ezekiel 40 through41 and second Peter chapter 3, but we'll focus only on the New Testament in this podcast. I hope you're ready. Let's get started. All right, Second Peter chapter three. Now I didn't go over chapters one and two, um, but uh, or First Peter at all, even though that's just a rich book, wonderful book. The the actually the book of First Peter and and you know a decent part of Second Peter is essentially how it is that a Christian is to deal with difficulties. Really, how a Christian is to live their life out and find joy in in a time when they are persecuted in a time when they are going through difficulties because they are followers of the Lord. And so 1st and 2nd Peter are are real books on how it is that we live out our faith in a broken world that persecutes us and makes our life difficult because we are following Jesus. And so th- they're just two wonderful, wonderful letters that he wrote. But we're going to just pick up in the very last chapter, uh, and it's the reading for today. So let's go on and make our way through 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, there's some really, really cool tidbits uh, in this chapter. Um the whole chapters great, but you know there's a couple of things in here that I it's 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 pretty cool. I'll get you there in just a minute. Second Peter chapter three verse one says, "Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. So he's almost done with this letter, but he's acknowledging that this is the second letter. Um, and so, unlike Paul, when he wrote to First Corinthians and he talked about a previous letter that he had written, and then in 2 Corinthians, where he talked about a harsh letter that apparently was written after what we call 1 Corinthians, then it seems as if Paul wrote at least four letters to the church at Corinth. and But we only have two because only two of them were penned by Paul as he was moved by the Holy Spirit so that they would be Scripture. The other two, obviously, were not Scripture. That's why God didn't see fit to preserve them um but when we get to what we call second Peter he says this is now the second letter I've written so he's he's batting 100 so far you know none, none of the letters at least that that he wrote up to this point uh, were scrapped because they were not scripture um, so second Peter he he is saying this is now the second letter I've written to you he said in both letters I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder. And so what he's doing is saying, I'm writing 2 Peter to remind you of what I wrote to you about in 1 Peter and what I wrote to you about or what I told you, you know, whenever we were together, you know, if he was together with, uh, with any of them. Uh, he's saying that there are things that you already know, and my job is simply to remind you, um, One of the things that I would encourage you to do whenever you go to church and whenever the pastor speaks on things, maybe in a new and a fresh way, but things that you already have heard and already know, do not write that off. When your Bible study teacher, when your home group, your connection group, whatever you call it, whether you meet at home or meet at church, whenever they are addressing things that you already know, don't write them off. Um, Because part of what is going to happen is as you mature in your faith, as you grow in your understanding and competency in the Word of God, then less and less you're going to hear something you didn't know. Less and less you're going to hear something that you don't agree with. You know, if it's truth, um, you're going to just be being reminded of things. And so don't write it off because you know, if you do, then the logic of that is the more mature you get in your faith, the more of God's word you know, the less you have to pay attention to it. And that's obviously a flawed view. So Peter said, hey, I'm, I'm reminding you of things you already know. I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, verse two, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. And uh, so he had written to them previously, 1 Peter, but he also said, you know what, the Holy Prophets, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, um, and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles, and so uh, he said, hey, you know, you have heard from some of the other apostles, and what they have said, you've heard from me, and what we have said that Jesus has told us is truth, uh, what we're to believe and how we're to act. He said, I'm writing to you just to remind you. And what this chapter is about is he wants them to pursue holiness in what they believe and in how they live. And he's going to give it a context as to why they should pursue holiness, why we should pursue holiness. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Verse 3. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desire, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Peter said in the last days, there are going to be those that scoff and those that say, you know what? You say that Jesus is coming back. (laughs) Yeah, where is he? Yeah, it's been years since he took off, and you've been saying he's been gonna gonna be coming back for years, maybe maybe decades. At that time, a few decades, and uh, he said, "There's gonna be scoffers in the last day that are mocking the return of Jesus, mocking the return of Jesus." He said, "How are we to think of this?" How are we to think of it whenever people scoff? How do you think about it, friend? How do I think about it whenever someone comes up to us and says, you know what, I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in your God, and you talk about Jesus coming back? Yeah, right. He, they said he was coming back 2,000 years ago, and he still hasn't come back. And and they say it as a mockery. How are we to think about that? Verse 5. They deliberately overlook this. This Now, Present day, agnostics and atheists don't overlook it because they don't necessarily know the scriptures, but Peter is referring to those scoffers who knew the scriptures. They knew of uh, previous situations where it was similar to what they were in. Verse 5, they deliberately overlooked this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought fr- out about from water and through water. So he's talking about creation and... And he's talking about God's power. He said they are mindful of the fact, and they're deliberately overlooking the fact that God is powerful and God can do whatever he pleases, including making the universe. Verse 6, though, "...through these," what? The waters. "...through these the world of that time perished when it was flooded." Through these, the world at that time perished when it was flooded. What he's saying is, the scoffers are saying, hey, where's the sign of Jesus' return? You know, When's your Jesus coming back? And he said, you know what? There were scoffers that were scoffing at Noah. They were making fun of Noah and saying, where is this flood? Where is this rain that your God tells you that is going to be coming down on the earth? Why are you building this ark? Where is this God that you talk about? But he said, through these, the world at that time perished when it was flooded. He said, God did it before. There were scoffers, and God proved himself right. Verse 5, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, not water, not a flood, a worldwide flood, but stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter is saying, yes, there are scoffers. Yes, there are scoffers, but there were scoffers in Noah's day when God showed up on a day that they did not know that he was coming. The door to the ark was already sealed. They could not get in once they realized that their what they were mocking was actually happening and the earth was flooding and they all died. They all perished. And Peter is saying that it's going to happen again. There are going to be mockers in our age. There are going to be scoffers in our age. But it's going to happen again. God will destroy this world, not by water, but by fire. And he's going to dig into that a little bit, a topic a little bit, and talk about how God's going to do it. Verse 8 Dear friends, Don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Okay, so just realize this is not a math equation. This is not saying, okay, one day to us is like a thousand years to the Lord, so five days to us is like 5,000 years. That's not what he's saying. What Peter is saying is, is we don't calculate time like God does. Why? Because God is outside of time. We understand time. We don't know what it's like to be outside of time. We don't understand what infinity is. We don't understand the nature of eternity because our minds are wired to where we think in terms of time. But what Peter is saying here is we're counting down the time, but God looks at time Very differently than us. We think, oh, you know, 2,000 years is gone since Jesus left, and we're still waiting for him to come back. And Peter would still say to our generation, we don't count time the way God does. God is outside of time. God is waiting for that moment when he has predetermined that he's going to send Jesus back. And so he said, don't you get all flustered. God is in control but God's not measuring time the way that we do. We're growing impatient. God is not impatient because God has a set moment when he is going to send Jesus. Verse nine, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so what we see in verse nine is is God's heart. Peter says, "You know why the re, you know why God hasn't sent Jesus back yet? Because when God sends Jesus back, there will be in mass a number of people who are consigned to hell right then and there. And it says, "God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance." Paul, uh, Peter is saying that God's heart is that people would repent. Repent of their sins. Submit to His authority over the life. Come into a love relationship with Him. This is God's desire. Well, just think, if God was to send Jesus back right now, how many family members do you have? You, You know, maybe immediate family members or maybe extended family members that you suspect do not have a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus. How many, if Jesus was to come back right now, would enter into the time of tribulation, maybe their hearts would grow cold and darkened, and they would essentially have no chance, if their heart grows cold, no chance to trust in Jesus. If if God sends when God sends Jesus back, there will be multitudes of people in that situation, and so Peter said, God hasn't sent Jesus back because He wants people to repent. He wants people to come to Him. That's why He's being patient. Verse ten through thirteen, we understand how it is that He's coming back, and the destruction of all things, and and what He does here is He kind of takes. At least in my understanding, he takes roughly 1,007 years and collapses them. Peter collapses them into four verses, verses 10 through 13. Because my understanding is Jesus comes back. Then we have, at some point soon after that, the seven-year tribulation begins And at the end of the seven-year tribulation, my understanding of end times events, and we'll talk about this when we get to the book of Revelation, is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And then at the end of that thousand-year reign, Satan's going to be released from the bottomless pit. He's going to go out. He's going to muster a lot of troops because even when Jesus is reigning over this planet earth, there are multitudes of people that refuse to submit to him. And Satan's going to go out, rally a massive army. And I don't think that battle ever gets fought because then everything goes into non-existence. Well, that 1007 years is just squished into four verses here in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 13. So let's let's look at this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, a thief takes what does not belong to them. That's not what Peter means. A thief Not only takes what doesn't belong to them, but another trait about a thief is they don't call ahead and say, hey, I was just looking at my calendar and I'm thinking I'm going to break into your house at three in the morning. Are y'all good with that? No, the thief doesn't do that. It's the element of surprise, right? And so that's what Peter's referring to. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to come when nobody's expecting it. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. So here... He has been talking about how Jesus was coming back, but now in verse 10, he jumps to the 1,007 years into the future where the destruction will happen. And so the beginning of this chapter, there were scoffers that were saying, where's the sign of his coming? When's Jesus coming back? Well, now he jumps, like I said, verses 10 through 13, he jumps 1,007 years into the future to the destruction of the universe. Not just planet Earth, but everything that God created in Genesis chapter one. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. In the Greek, that's the the Greek word roisedon. And if you were to do a word search, a word study on that Greek word, it means, it, 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 it refers to a whistling sound and then a point of impact. I mean, it's it's like if the Romans were to put the end of their arrow, you know, it had cloth or whatever it was at the end of their, arrow, and then they put that in oil, and then they lit that thing. So now they've got flaming arrows, and they pull it back in their bow, and whew, you let that thing go. You could imagine the whistling sound that that arrow made as it pierces the air, and then poof, whenever it hits, whatever it hits, and it has that moment of impact that's this word that's this word this there there's even when you go back to the book of daniel and you have the uh the statue that uh whose head was of gold and the the uh the, the shoulders and the chest of silver and the the waist of bronze and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay well what that was is that was a description of the major world powers and iron was Rome and iron and clay is the era that we live in and if you go back and you read that about that, um, that vision, it says that a hand went into the mountain and, and pulled and grabbed out a rock, you know, carved out a rock and threw it at those feet, and great was the fall of that. Well, that's talking about how that God is going to throw something at the, the generation that has existed after Rome. You know, when Rome is mixed with all sorts of other things, and I believe the the only semblance we have of Rome now is the Holy Roman Empire, which is the Catholic Church. And it's a mixture, a hodgepodge of that and everything else. And then the Lord is going to throw something and destroy it. And I think what's what the, the Bible paints is that there is going to be a mighty fireball, whatever it is, that's going to pierce space, the whistling sound, and then... Poof, the point of impact that's this word the heavens will pass away with a roisadon the elements will burn and be dissolved elements and that word elements uh is the greek word that refers to the the letters of the greek alphabet you know and so it's what what he is saying is the elements will burn and be dissolved i think he's talking about The smallest cell, the smallest atoms will be destroyed. I think what we're reading here is that this whistling sound and point of impact is something like a nuclear bomb times millions, times millions, times millions, and everything goes back to non-existence. In Genesis 1, God spoke out of nothing and made matter and made time and made energy, all of these things. And God took nothing and made something. But I believe what we see in verse 10 is God's going to take everything that exists, God's going to take something and take it back to nothing. That's his judgment. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Well, that's talking about the judgment when the lost will stand before the Lord. And we read about that in Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. So Peter draws a conclusion to this. It's not He's not just giving interesting information about how the earth will be destroyed with fire. And not just the earth, the sun, the stars, the galaxies, the nebula, everything that God created, everything that we call the universe will go back into non existence. It will go back to non matter. And Paul, not Paul, Peter actually said that since God is going to powerfully judge, then don't you think you ought to take holiness seriously? Don't you think you ought to take him seriously when he calls you to holiness because a God that is, that is this powerful and a God that takes justice so seriously and a God that's going to pour his wrath out on a rebellious earth in this way is not a God to be trifled with. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. This knowledge should cause us to pursue holiness. Be serious about obeying the Lord Jesus and becoming more like him. Verse 13, but based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Yeah. The great white throne judgment is in Revelation chapter 20. I love the first verse in Revelation 21. And behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, everything that exists now at one point will go back into non-existence, go back into non-matter. It will go back into nothingness, and out of that nothingness, God will resurrect, recreate a brand new earth and new heavens. Now, He's not talking about a heaven where God is, the third heaven. He's talking about the heavens where the birds fly and the stars and the the galaxies and the nebulae. He's going to recreate all of that, but the earth and the galaxy and the, the universe that we're in right now is tarnished by sin. The sin that Adam committed messed up the farthest star. And so all of it's messed up, is and it's beautiful and fascinating to look at, but everything's messed up because of Adam's sin. Just read Genesis 3. It wasn't just the ground that was cursed. The ground represented that the non—what uh, do, what do you—I'm trying to think of— the inanimate creation—that's the word I was looking for—the inanimate creation that that does not have life, you know, that doesn't have uh, life like people and like animals do. The inanimate creation was cursed because of Adam, and I think that went to the farthest star. And so God's going to recreate everything, and that new earth, if you read Revelation 21 and 22, is going to be the new heaven that's where God's going to dwell on a brand new earth. We will live on a new earth. And that's what he talks about. Based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Friend, we're not going to live in uh, on a cloud somewhere. We're not going to live out there in spirit form, wherever that is, somewhere for the rest of forever. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Wherever heaven is right now, it is very physical because in Acts 1, Jesus took his physical body with him to that place that is now heaven. Wherever it is, it's physical. But the future heaven is just as physical. It's going to be a brand new earth where righteousness dwells, Peter says, in 2 Peter 3.13. It's going to be a world that does not... It not only has no sin but it's got no consequences of sin. There's no sickness, sorrow, pain, death. There's no anything like that. We'll never have to lock anything. Nobody will ever have to carry bulky keys in their pockets or their purses because everybody's righteous. Nobody would think of doing anything wrong. You won't have to worry about going out into the woods on a long hike for fear that a snake would bite you or a wild animal could come and devour you. You won't have to worry about that because the animals were affected by Adam's sin, but the lion will lie down with the lamb in heaven. There will be no, nothing to fear. Everything is righteous. Everything is good and holy, and we look forward to that. Verse 14, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, so while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, well, what are we to do? Are we just to wait? Or are we to be busy doing something? Well, therefore, verse 14, Dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Right? And so while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we're to be chasing after holiness and obedience. We're to be getting rid of sin. We're to make every effort to be found without spot or blemish. It gives, and and doing this way gives us peace when we think of the Lord's return because we're not ashamed for him to come back because we're doing what pleases him. And so verse 14, Peter is saying, based on what I just shared with you about Jesus coming back and about him destroying all things and making all things new, let that motivate you to take holiness seriously. Verse 15. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. And so God here is, told, is said to be waiting for people to be saved and waiting for people to pursue greater degrees of holiness. This is what God is doing. And so he said, regard the patience of our Lord as what? Salvation. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, as an opportunity for people to be saved and for you to grow in your salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. And so he said, Paul has been talking about this too. And he, Peter obviously knew that these people that he's writing to were reading Paul's letters. And so he said, hey, Paul's written about this too, but I love verse 16. This is, this is cool. And he speaks about these things in all his letters. Okay, so Peter's familiar with the fact that Paul's just been writing lots of letters. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. Okay, so here I'm saying, thank you, Peter. (laughs) Because yes, there are some things that are difficult to understand in Paul's writings. Some things that are difficult to understand, but while I may be tempted to think, oh, I'm less of a Christian for struggling with trying to understand what Paul wrote in the book of Romans or, you know, in some of the other deeper truths, uh, who I am in Christ, the first couple of chapters of Ephesians and some of the other things, um, you know, while I may be tempted to think I'm lesser than because I don't understand it. Peter gives me comfort in 2 Peter 3.16 when he says, you know what? I don't understand some of it too. <laughs> and so that's not, that's not an excuse for us not to seek to understand. That's not an excuse not to listen to people who have studied and understand what it means so that we can listen to them and gain that knowledge. But we just need to realize that Peter himself said that some of the things that Paul was writing were difficult To understand. So don't think you are less than when you are reading through the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or New, and struggle with understanding some of those things and think you are less than. Don't you think you're less than. Peter's in your group, and so am I. (laughs) Some things are hard to understand to them. And then he continues... The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction. So he said there are those who are not familiar with Scripture, and so they're taking what they don't understand and they're twisting it. They're making it say things it's not saying. They may even make it say things that is unbiblical. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction. Ooh, to their own destruction. It's not just the destruction of the people who are listening, but to their own destruction, those that are teaching. It kind of takes me back to James chapter 3 verse 1, let not many of you become teachers knowing we will receive the stricter judgment. And so there's a balance here that we are to realize that there are certain passages of scripture that are hard to understand. We, We are like Peter in that we are like that, but that does not mean we should not dig in and seek to understand it. Dig in harder, listen to men and women who have studied that text and uh, and have have a, a and sound as if they are explaining it accurately and in a way that is biblical, that's true to the text. Just because we think some things are hard to understand doesn't mean we should stop there. because if we stop there, and, and we just teach, un, especially if we teach untruth, um, there's judgment that comes our way. And it could be that, uh, you know, Peter was talking about how these people were twisting it. Maybe they, they weren't intentionally twisting it. Maybe it was accidental, but they weren't able to grasp the truth. Maybe it was the truth of the gospel itself that they were not understanding, but rather than seeking to understand, they were twisting it to make it say something it didn't say. And so they were ending, ending up destroyed in a place called hell because they were contorting the gospel. But listen to this. He says, "...the untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, twist them, the letters of Paul, to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of scriptures." Oh, that's powerful. As they also do the rest of the scriptures. So clearly, Peter is acknowledging that some of what Paul is writing is scripture. Some people have said, oh, the the New Testament wasn't even compiled. It wasn't even agreed on until the third or fourth century. Well, no, that's not true. I think it was in the 4th century that uh, a council got together and essentially agreed upon the books that were Scripture. They did not make it Scripture. They agreed on what was already determined by the churches to be Scripture. Well, then the question comes, well, how early, how soon did these people realize what was Scripture and what was not? Well, here we have in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, that Peter is recognizing that some of what Paul is writing is Scripture. They mess Paul's writings up. The untaught and unstable will twist them, Paul's writings, to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the Scriptures. So Peter obviously is acknowledging that some of what Paul is writing is Scripture, It wasn't until the third, we don't believe that it was the third or the fourth century and finally uh, a council got together and determined what scripture was. No, in the first century, Peter and others were recognizing already what was scripture and what was not. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable Position. He said, don't be like those untaught and unstable people. Um, did you know Did you know that what we believe affects our behavior? Well, we know that, right? If I believe that, uh, you know, that a wire, if I'm, you know, out in the country and I come up to a wire fence, and if I believe that that wire is an electric wire to keep the cows or whatever inside of the fence, if I believe it's an electric wire, then my belief is going to affect my behavior. I'm not going to touch that wire. My belief says that it's electrified. That causes my behavior not not, not to touch it. So, right. So we understand belief affects behavior. But sometimes behavior affects belief, right? If, if we are not chasing after holiness, but in fact, if we are in sin and maybe a little bit content to be so, then we may change our beliefs to justify our behaviors. So that's what I believe Peter is talking about here. He said, you know what? Since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. He said, I don't want you to listen to lawless people, what they teach and how they act. I don't want you to be led away by them because it will affect. If it's your behavior, it'll affect your belief. If it's your belief, it'll affect your behavior. Um, The Bible tells us what to believe and how to behave. Peter's just saying, get serious about getting into God's word. Pursue holiness. Last verse, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge. What's grace? Grace is the good stuff. Grace is the forgiveness that can be ours, To grace to forgive. If we've sinned, then we ask for grace, and God's grace will cover us and forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But grace is not just to forgive. Grace is to empower us to live. You know, if 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 you and I ever make any progress in our pursuit of holiness, it's because of God's grace stepping in to help us. Because Philippians says, it's God who works in you, and I would add, graciously works in us. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it. Works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so, Paul said, I want you to grow in that grace, grace that forgives, grace that enables you to live the godly life. He says, I want you to grow. Actually, it's Peter. I keep saying Paul. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This word knowledge is not head knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosko. It's an experiential knowledge. It's, you know, it's it's one thing to say, yeah, I know that person, kind of. I know facts about them. It's another to say, yeah, but I really know my wife. Yeah, the, the the difference is obvious. I know my wife experientially. We've gone through so much together. We've talked, we've listened, we've shared. Two really are becoming one. And so my knowledge of her is much greater than my knowledge of anybody else. This word knowledge is experiential knowledge. He said, "I want you to grow in grace, to forgive grace, to en- grace to endure grace, to to live the godly life, but also in the experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." He said, "I want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. I want you to grow." I want you to understand what it is to be forgiven and to live in that forgiveness, but then ask for grace to enable you to pursue holiness so you don't have to ask for forgiveness as much, that you would grow in grace and the experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you would become more and more and more like him as you enjoy him. And then he ends, To him, Jesus, Be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I mean, that just maybe sounds like an ending, you know, an interesting ending. But I wonder if Peter, as he wrote of the glory, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I wonder if he was thinking back to Matthew 17. When he experienced the glory of Jesus, that transformation that happened, the transfiguration as God's glory radiated from Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I wonder if Peter was thinking of that as he said to him, be glory both now and to the day of eternity. And the thing is, is as Jesus is experiencing glory now, Peter wasn't experiencing it because he was on earth and he was writing this letter. But to the day of eternity, there was going to be a day when Peter was going to be in the glory of Jesus once again forever. And I wonder if he wrote that last sentence in this letter with a sense of longing, looking forward to being with Jesus once again forever let's pray lord jesus we come to you and we thank you that you are good that you are glorious and lord uh, even though we were not there on that mountain when you took Peter, James, and John, and they experienced your glory, you being transfigured there, the glory of God radiating from you. Even though we were not there, uh, we look forward like Peter was looking forward to being in your presence and experiencing your beauty and your glory. Um, You are God always have been always will be and we look forward to enjoying you one day and worshiping you in the splendor of holiness but lord help us not to spend all of our time looking forward help us even right now to seek to enjoy you in this life to chase after you to grow in the grace and knowledge of you as we uh enjoy our relationship with you, and as we grow to become more and more like you, getting rid of sin depending upon your grace to enable us to make good with that, and becoming more and more obedient to you, becoming more and more holy. We do pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.